Hello everybody, welcome, welcome to Essex Church and to this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians on this sunny, note sunny, Sunday morning, the first day of June. Today's service will be followed as usual by tea and coffee and then by our congregation's annual general meeting to which everyone is invited. An AGM is an opportunity to reflect on where our community is at the moment, to celebrate the work of the past year and to seek guidance for our next steps. Such a process of self-reflection, of discernment, I think is worthwhile in any aspect of life. So perhaps in today's service you too will be considering all that we say and do in the light of your own life. There may be messages that are relevant to you as we all seek for meaning and purpose. Here, may we find peace and rest, comfort and challenge. This is a time in which we can be ourselves, accepted just as we are, whoever we are, however we're feeling. There is a place for everyone here today. Here in this religious community, nobody will tell you what to think. No creed will shape your faith. But here you will find a community of fellow seekers willing to share their own experiences with you on life's journey, eager to hear of that which is of greatest worth to you. So let's take a moment now, each of us in our own way, to align ourselves with our higher being, with our greatest intent, with the God of our hearts and of our understanding. As we light our chalice today, may we be reminded that we do not do this in isolation. We don't carry the flame of our faith alone. Just like us, Unitarian Universalists across the Americas and Unitarian congregations across Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia will light their chalices also. So today, may the light of our chalice illuminate our connections with one another, as well as our deep connection to the worldwide religious community in which we belong. It will stop, eventually, the, the buying of soft toys. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I went to America, and what did I bring back? The Buddha and Socrates. How good is that? I bet none of you could go to an American bookshop and, and resist purchasing these particular items. Okay, they're going to do their best to tell a story that I just keep telling, really. I think I only told this about three months ago. But you know, once Socrates and... Have we got all the props? So we've got, oh yeah, we've got our props. Right. One day, Socrates 
and the Buddha were having a chat about the most important thing that they should tell us mere mortals about how to live a good life. Socrates is looking around, trying to find a way to show the Buddha what he's talking about. And he spots the Buddha's pencil case. And he takes out just one pencil. This is going to be tricky. (laughs) We didn't practice. (laughs) He takes out just one pencil and he goes, Look, Buddha, how easily this breaks. But now, let's try it with ten pencils. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get there. Okay, try it with ten pencils. Look! (laughs) They don't break so easily when they all stick together. And it's the same with us humans, says Socrates. Stick together and you'll be much stronger. Yes, we can do things on our own, and sometimes it's good to do things on our own, isn't it? But let's not forget that we need one another in life. Okay, now the Buddha is just a bit annoyed, because he didn't need anyone like Socrates teaching him about impermanence, and now his favourite pencil was broken in two, and he wasn't entirely sure about the needing one another bit either. What about you? What do you think? Do we need other people? Our responsive reading that Janine is going to lead, uh, it's on your hymn sheet if you want to find it, it lists some of the times when we might need others. And I guess the question I'd ask is, are there any of those statements that resonate particularly with you and with your life? Feel free to join in as... Feel free to join in as you wish, um, maybe with alternate lines or all the words or just sit and listen. We need one another when we mourn and would be comforted. We need one another when we are in trouble and afraid. We need one another when we are in despair or temptation and need to be recalled to our best selves again. We need one another when we would accomplish some great purpose and cannot do it alone. We need one another in the hour of success when we look for someone to share our triumphs. We need one another in the hour of defeat when encouragement we might endure and stand again. All our lives we are in need and others are in need of us. Let's take that thought of our need of one another into a time of prayer and reflection. As I call on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now. As we join in celebration of the membership of this, our congregation, and we meet for our annual general meeting, let us give thanks for all those who have gone before us, who struggled against tyranny and oppression to win us the freedoms we at times take for granted today. Let us give thanks for the people who founded this congregation in a time so very different from our own. 
We're grateful for their vision and their forethought, their courage and daring, their willingness to step out from the crowd to proclaim their own vision and belief. Let us give thanks too for the fellowship we experience today, for the people we share life's path with, (coughs) colleagues, friends, neighbours, families, all those people who touch our hearts and warm our spirits and challenge our minds. Let's spend a moment or two in silence thinking of people past and present for whom we are grateful. May we dedicate ourselves to continuing the struggle for freedom against oppression in our world, to working for justice and equality for all peoples and all beings with whom we share life here on our planet Earth home. And now I invite you, if you wish, to think of particular people or situations that you would like the healing thoughts and prayers of our community to be directed towards. And may we remember how much more can be achieved when we join our strength with the strength of others. And may all those we are concerned about feel some of the love and the warmth of this community wrapping around them like a warm and healing blanket of love and care. And may our world be a little brighter and lighter this day because of our presence in it now and always. Amen. A popular church, with words adapted um, from the work of David Rankin. To escape the trap of seeking popularity, an authentic church should advertise as follows. Our worship is not an entertainment. Our congregation is not an audience. Our music is not an empty performance. Our preaching is not a trivial comfort. Our theology is not a marketing strategy. Our counselling is not a promise of prosperity. Our church is not a business enterprise. Our ministry is certainly not a cult of personality, and you for sure are not a gathering of sheep. Our success, I suspect, is never going to be a membership statistic. Yet we cannot be defined solely by what we are not. We can add to that. Our worship is an attempt to find the soul in a world around and within us. Our congregations are imperfect communities in search of wholeness. Our music is the song of our togetherness. Our preaching is a challenge to the comfortable certainties of our times. Our theology is an evolving process of sense-making and love-building. Our counselling is the promise of endless possibility. Our churches are precious links to a glorious past, 
and dreams for what we yet can be. Our ministry is a seeking for rainbows in the mist of clouds or water in the mist of desert. Our community is a faith-filled yes to life. Our success is immeasurable, for the spirit knows no bounds, and the soul knows no boundaries. I, I love travelling. I know um, lots of you do too. I love all sorts of travelling. I love driving a car, going by train, getting on a bus. But I have to be a cautious traveller because over the years it's come to my attention that despite having all the right maps, despite being armed with useful directions, I'm somebody who is more than capable of getting lost. Indeed, as I look around this room, I know I've been lost with one or two of you before now. I come from a family of people who can get lost. One much-loved family story involves my parents driving to the south coast, wanting to go to Dorset, only to find themselves in Minehead in North Devon. And my mum saying comfortably, comfortingly, well, the sea is the sea, isn't it? Whichever coast you're on. My 10-year-old grandson, Zach, has been staying with me this week for half term, as he has done just about every holiday since he was really small. And my flat is not a huge place. But when Zach was about three, it was still quite unfamiliar to him, and he'd set off to explore, and then, as it sometimes does with young children, it had all gone very quiet. And then we heard a plaintive cry from Zach, shouting anxiously, Granny! Granny! Where am I? (laughs) And it's getting lost, I think, is, is part of the human condition be it in other people's homes or driving around unfamiliar roads or at a a deeper level, perhaps knowing what path to take next in life or how best to deal with life's challenges and setbacks. Where am I? What are we doing here? How can we find meaning and purpose in life? Who am I? These are the existential questions of life that we creatures of the 20th and the 21st centuries get to ask at times, living as we know we do on a tiny dot of a planet floating in the midst of an unimaginably vast and possibly meaningless universe. These are the questions posed by existential philosophers such as Sartre and Camus, and as often seems to be the way with philosophers, the questions that they raised became the questions of their era. Their complex words words were read only by the intelligentsia, yet the concepts, no, the concepts have filtered through to us all, and I think to some extent they've shaped our thinking and our ways of living. You could say that existentialism has set an agenda for our time. How best can we live in a potentially meaningless universe? I think some of the best answers that we humans can come up with to such dilemmas seem to involve fostering a sense of belonging. Somehow, somewhere, we find ways, don't we, to put down some roots. We stretch out our tendrils, we touch the lives near to us. We listen and we observe, we ask questions, we find things to do with other people, creating meaning and purpose where there might otherwise well be none. 
Margaret Wheatley, whose, whose work we've often used here and who's written extensively about ways to create a sense of community. She writes that human beings need each other. We cannot exist in isolation. And we can then turn that around and say that the communities we create, of course, need us. They need us to belong in order to exist. And I'd take that further, and I'd say that the world itself needs our communities because it is by joining together with others that we have enough power to make a difference here on planet Earth. Now, I could wax lyrically about the joys of belonging in a community, but it would be wrong, wouldn't it, not to mention the other side. That joining a community is like stepping into the swimming pool or the river or standing up and getting off the spectator's bench and joining the game on the playing field. Because when you join in any activity, you cannot entirely predict or shape the outcomes. But you can guarantee that if you get in the river or the swimming pool, you're going to get wet. And if you join a game of football, it's an almost certainty that you're going to fall down or you might get kicked and you will at the very least get a bit muddy before the game comes to an end. Life in communities is real life and real life sometimes hurts and at some point anyone who really belongs, I think, in any grouping will find themselves rather wishing that they didn't. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer described it like this in his book called Life Together. Only that fellowship that faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it could or should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. And the sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and a community, the better for both. Words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. One of, one of the things that I do in our national movement is to work on our interview panel that um, meets prospective candidates for ministry training. And one of the things I always ask candidates is, have you become disappointed by Unitarianism yet? And if they haven't, if they still have that shiny glow of, this is wonderful, I suggest that they go away and become disappointed and disillusioned and then come back if they want to really get in a position of leadership. Because our congregations are communities of spirit, but they're like any other community. They thrive on open and deep and caring communication and what can help such a process develop in a community? Well, here are some words from our very own Michaela von Britzka, her essay on fostering spiritual growth in Unitarian communities. You can read the whole essay. It's in the library downstairs in a book. She writes that many unexpected processes of spiritual unfolding follow naturally once we learn to make the mystic's assumption that everything that lives is holy as part of our formal spiritual practice. If we could learn, she writes, to truly meet each other in this spirit, in the groupings that make up a church and its weekly processes, we would be well on the road towards a greater awareness of the holiness of the conversation. Once we learn to adopt the view that everything that lives is holy, well, we don't need to turn church then into a place where we have to be careful and nice to each other, 
No, we can start to face our conflicts together and begin to develop a sturdy intimacy with each other, the basis and goal of our longing to belong. To echo that, that I chose uh, this um, quotation from Maya Angelou today for our order of service sheet. While I know myself as a creation of God, I'm also obligated to realise and remember that everyone else and everything else are also God's creation. It's a fundamental building block, I think, of a spiritual community. Michaela used that term, sturdy intimacy. Isn't that a pleasing description for any healthy relationship? And what a useful reminder of the work that's needed if we are to create create a true community of the Spirit. For we all know the challenges, don't we, of attempting to conduct our lives from that position of everything that lives is holy. Now, that's an easy enough path when everything is sweetness and light. And, for me at least, it's a seemingly impossible task when life is tough and when I come up against the wall of my dislikes, my sensitivities, my disapproval, my irritations. If we stick around any community for long enough, we come up against those barriers in ourselves and others. And then, well, then we have a choice. Do we stay and deal with our own discomfort or do we back off? retreat, return to a comfort zone of our own creating. So for me, a healthy community needs to be created in such a way that people feel safe enough to stick around, to work through discomfort, to create opportunities again and again for healing, be it our own individual healing or the healing that is so urgently needed out there in the world. And one way of sticking on that path is, I think, to recognise something of God in every one we meet and something of ourselves. This too is me. We are all connected. And that connectedness can help us to work through the barriers, to clamber over divisions, to seek health and healing and wholeness for one and for all. And... I think a community of spirit also needs to be something serving something larger than itself. Yes, we are as individuals important. Yes, this congregation and this church building are important too. But don't we have to perceive ourselves as part of something greater? That uh, the Buddhist teacher and writer I quoted from earlier on, Jack Cornfield, he puts it in his book delightfully entitled After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. He writes, If people gather in community primarily to alleviate their own isolation and loneliness, to have their needs fulfilled by others, they become like a group of needy children and the community is likely to fail. But if their vision and creativity is in service to the sacred, to God, to the larger common good, well then there is a better chance for a healthy and wise community to grow. When we serve one another or our wider world, we're connecting, I think, with the divine, with the sacred, and we're helping to create heaven here on earth. And our ways of serving, well, they may be large or small. They can be huge sacrifices or the tiniest acts of generosity and kindness. But they are all ways to say yes. 
Yes, I am part of something greater than myself. Yes, I want this to be a better world for all. Yes, yes, yes to life. Finding a Unitarian community all those years ago now made a profound difference to my life. And my hope is that all people might find such a community in which to put down roots and flourish because it is within a community that we can be ourselves and we can use our gifts for the betterment of all. If you have a look at your uh, hymn sheet, there's a very lovely quotation from Starhawk there. It's an ideal, but I think, I think it's one a lot of us yearn for. She writes, Community. Somewhere there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere a circle of hands will open to receive us. Eyes will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing a circle of friends, somewhere where we can be free. As a community of spirit, I believe we are making a bridge between the material and the spiritual elements of life. Yet we're faced with never-ending practical tasks of governing ourselves and our financial and other assets. We're taking care of the fabric of our buildings. We're taking care of one another. We're playing our essential part in the life of our wider community. So my hope for our Unitarian group here at Essex Church and for our whole Unitarian General Assembly is that we play that part well with fun and efficiency in right relationship with one another and with the world and that we remember always that we're doing this for the greater good of all. Amen. And now, as is our custom, we're going to recognise by name people who have joined our community as members in the last year. This, this tiny ceremony is one of the reasons that I'm frazzled. Every year I try and get this right, and every year something goes wrong. So let me prepare you for this. I am bound to miss somebody out. I am bound to say that somebody is a member and they're not. I'm bound to have missed reminding somebody that this was going to happen. And, Jane, I'll probably forget to offer people all our merchandising opportunities. So I'll do that bit now. Not only if you're on this list of people who think they're a new member here, are you going to get your hand shaken, if you wish, by me and David Darling, our chairperson of our congregation, but you get to choose any item from the table here. You could have a nice Kensington Unitarians mug, a book, something to put your Easter card in, or a badge. And if you're somebody who didn't get offered one of those in previous years, just, just help yourselves. Everybody uh, can uh, take part in that. So I think the people who have joined this congregation in the last year are Carolyn Appleby, Sam Boyero and Kayo, Billy Jackson, Ellen McHughes, the Neeston Alam family, and Annette Percy. Does anybody think they've been missed off that list? 
if anybody wants to be a member and we have in any way you know, forgotten to give you a membership form then come and see me or Jane after this service so if you would like to stand anybody whose name has been mentioned if you'd like to come forward and let's just shake these hands really <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so, if, if you would now, we've, we've been saying some words together, and, and I would say, don't worry if you're not a member, if you want to say these words with us now. If you look at your hymn sheet, um, we've got some shared words of commitment. We wrote these um, for the service that celebrated the start of my ministry here, working with Kensington Unitarians. We've been saying them together each year since then. And they speak of ministry as a shared task. And I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older or I'm finally learning that I can't do things on my own. I am ever more aware of the importance of shared ministry, sharing those endless tasks of community building and maintaining, keeping in touch with people, ensuring that visitors receive a warm welcome, arranging things to do together and spreading our liberal religious message out into the world These are shared tasks, and I am ever grateful to our members, our friends, and our visitors, because I know we're all doing that together. So sit or stand as you feel comfortable, and if you wish to join in and say these words together, let's join now, saying our shared words of commitment. It's with pleasure and love that we commit ourselves to this shared ministry. With caring and open hearts, we pledge to join in making our community an inclusive and welcoming place for all people of goodwill. We shall continue to uphold our liberal religious tradition and to encourage the many spiritual seekers who meet in our church building. We trust the power of honest communication, creativity and kindness to heal and hold us always. Thank you. Thank you all. So may our shared dreams help us to build a world that is fit for the children of tomorrow, a new community. As one, let us pledge ourselves to greater service and with love and justice, strive to make all free. Amen. Go well, and blessed be.